After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. And this week, oh guys, even in the middle of a pandemic, dreams do come true. Finally, he's on the show. It's Mr. Bruce McDonald. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Becky, I am great. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's been three years of talking about your films on a Canadian film podcast, so it's nice to have you here to talk about your newest movie, which people can watch right now through iTunes and a VOD on their service provider, wherever they happen to be in Canada. The new movie is called Dreamland. Tell us a bit about it. Well, <clears throat> it's a movie uh, stars Steve McCaddy and uh, Juliet Lewis and Henry Rollins, written by Tony Burgess. Uh, very quickly, it's the story of a hitman that's hired by his underworld boss to go cut off the finger of Chet Baker, the jazz trumpet player, before Chet plays the wedding of the vampire and his child bride at the Countess's palace. So that's the sort of the that's the that's the speedboat version of it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a movie that. I guess if you imagined what a movie would look like imagined by a heroin addicted jazz trumpet player, this is the one. Which, uh, I mean, there's been a few of those. So do we have a specific <laughs> one? <laughs> I mean, Chet Baker, you obviously mentioned. And that, of course, is because Stephen McCaddy played Chet Baker in the last few moments of his life in a short film recently. That's where the inspiration for this came from? I guess the like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, it was a great film by Robert Boudreaux. And that was you know, I think the major or one of the major in uh, starters of this film, like he just played a, an amazing Chet Baker and it was such a beautiful performance. We thought, man, we got to we got to keep this ship rolling. Well, Stephen McHattie, for me, and I'm sure for most Canadians, is kind of like our version of someone like Tim Curry or people like that who uh, they show up and you know you're in for a good time. Like they make everything they're in better. So to finally get to see him highlighted like you highlight him in Pontypool, people will, of course, recognize Tony Burns' yes. name from writing that. That's what you do. So when you're writing something for this character actor who's very unusual, what do you usually keep in mind? Stephen was involved in the writing, not like writing, but he was part of the process where we, we would show you know different drafts and he would respond so you keep in mind i guess his strengths i mean i've had the opportunity and the pleasure to work with him on many many different uh shows tv shows and tv movies and that sort of thing so we have a real comfort and it's a real treat it's not often done where you're writing with the person in mind the actor that you're gonna use often it, if you do it changes or somehow but uh in this case we wrote for him and we were inspired by him. As you said, he kind of fills things up with uh, and always is surprising in the smallest of details. He'll surprise you. So it was exciting to write for him. It was exciting to have him on board through the writing. Tony and uh, myself really appreciated it. Uh, so yeah, it's sort of a it's a it's a dream way to work, it's, and it doesn't happen very often. Well, you kind of have your own little ensemble of actors, kind of like David Lynch does. Very important reference for this film, where you get to have these little ins and outs. So like Stephen McHattie will show up, Juliette Lewis you've worked with previously. Uh, I mean, Callum Keith Rennie and you go way back. Like there's a bunch of different uh, yeah. Don McKellar. Like you you just yeah. have this great little ensemble you're able to cycle through with whoever's available. What makes a Bruce McDonald actor for you? I think somebody that surprises. You. I think somebody that, um, yeah, somebody that is not a, is fearless, a fearless person that 
uses the script and the direction and the whatever's given to to explore, to go exploring and not feel bound by the, you know, the page or the, the, the limits of the character that they and that's the delight in making a movie because it's sort of an experiment. You're not quite sure what it's gonna be when you show up, but after it's done, you're often amazed at people's sort of bravery or their courage to go to some place. I mean, Juliet was like this in Dreamland. She just kind of at the end, she says, Bruce, I've never had so much fun, you know? It was just so fun just to be let loose and kind of go. So I guess I, you know, I mean, I, I love actors. I adore actors, but um, there's a fearlessness to them. And you can literally see them exploring. Callum is like that. Callum Rennie. Uh, Greg Brick is like that. Uh, Stephen McCaddy, Juliet, Dawn. So when you have those people, when you when you have the uh, pleasure and the kind of privilege to work with those people, you kind of want to design, you always kind of keep them in mind for the next adventure. Not every movie project can, you know, hold everybody. If you're making a movie where everybody's native, I mean, Don is probably not going to play a native guy, right? <laughs> yes. But uh, But then you meet a bunch of new people, you know, that you add to the ensemble, people like Adam Beach or Jennifer Podemski, those people. So... You know, yeah, it's nice to work with your friends. Yeah, and then you introduce them to the rest of Canada, and they're like, oh, great, yeah, we want to make Jennifer Podemski a star. Let's just go with that. Or Adam Beach is now on Law & Order. You know, let's, yeah, let's just no, play wild, with that. Huh? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you're responsible, like, on the longevity for giving Canada so many of its high-profile actors and, and introducing us to all those people. Yeah, I wouldn't say I was responsible, but I helped, <laughs> you know, shine the light, you know, which is, which is often, I guess, kind of the job of the director, right? It's like... They're the first audience of the of the actor, and if they're the ones that first kind of discover or are entertained by this performance, then they have the ability to kind of help share it, you know, for everybody else. Well, part of that joy, and I mean, we always love watching your actors and watching your films because everybody seems to be having a great time, even when terrible things are happening to them. I think, of <laughs> course, of uh, of Hardcore Logo, where it seems like even though everybody's having the worst time, they're having the best time simultaneously, which keeps all of that energy going. Uh, and a lot of your films, especially the early stuff, tends to have this middle finger to the concept of the trope. So, of course, like Roadkill and Highway 61 being a little bit of a cheeky middle finger to going down the road that kind of came before it. And then this new movie has a little bit of a middle finger to the concept of noir with you adding so much into it. So you're playing with the tropes um, while simultaneously kind of honoring them and then being like, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to make my own thing. And I listened to an interview where you talked about recently discovering Raymond Chandler novels. And I was like, oh, I get it because I just read The Big Sleep because I'd never read it before. Oh, no way. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. totally. And I was like, oh, I get it. And I had kind of the same awakening you did where you were like, oh, this is what style but no substance looks like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I, I went deeper down because I started, I watched the 1946 movie with Bogey and Bacall and Howard Hawks actually had to go to Chandler and be like, hey, so who killed this guy? Like, you understand there's a bunch of plot holes here. He's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Just make it stylish. <laughs> and and he's right. And it's just, there's so, yeah, I love that. And there's just so much style. And then I thought about what you did with Dreamland and I was like, oh yeah, it's 100% it. You can't ask questions about why these things are happening. You just have to let it happen because it's style. Yeah, it's kind of like vibe and atmosphere, right? Uh, and that's what, you know, you kind of, I, I, I'm uh, fortunate I get to do a lot of television shows. And television is a lot of, uh, you know, great storytelling, great logic and great dialogue. And every once in a while when I get to make a movie, you know, you have that, but you get this extra little push of style and atmosphere and cinema and sound and music, you know, where it's not so much the 
the dialogue scene that carries the it's not the dialogue necessarily that carries the, the show. It's the, it's the sort of the vibe and the atmosphere. Uh, and especially when you're dipping into sort of noir, which is all about atmosphere and it's all about shadows and light and almost uh, good and evil and, you know, bad guys and good guys. And this kind of, it's like a modern day fairy tale in a way. Yeah. Tony's definitely the writer's not too interested in plot logic. You know, I have to be somewhat, uh, aware so we get to the <laughs> beginning and the end but that was the that was the uh the delight of discovering raymond chandler because you know i'd heard of his name for many years and i don't know if i've seen the movie but i read a, you know, a couple of his books and it was like this guy's amazing uh and just totally captures this weird la dark rainy vibe in los angeles uh in the well, i guess he was writing in the 40s so yeah, a huge inspiration for this. So for you, when you're making a film and you you want to challenge your audience as a filmmaker because you want to keep them engaged, what's the line for you between making an audience think about what's happening and trying to piece things together and then making them disappear into the story so it's escapist? Well, I think first is, you know, you want to have a script that kind of takes you there. That's the roller coaster ride. But I think the thing that kind of makes you uh, stay on the ride is usually the emotional kind of thing. And Stephen... Uh, as the kind of anchor in this movie, which is a pretty kooky world that he's in uh, with uh, little kid gangs and vampires and uh, child brides and, you know, uh, expressive countesses and uh, a club called Al-Qaeda. You know, you run the risk of kind of everything spinning off into Cuckooville. But with Stephen, because of his uh, gravitas and his kind of authenticity as an actor he's very expressive but there's a kind of a authenticity to him there's a kind of humanness and a kind of a clarity so he's not kind of putting it on you feel you feel what's inside and i think in especially in this case i think stephen was the kind of anchor and the i guess the melody throughout this madness where it felt cohesive and it felt emotionally logical in a certain sort of way even though it was completely illogical there's a kind of an emotional clarity that he brings to it because of the choices that he made in his performance and and you know again going back to why you know you love working with certain people because there was a danger easily with the wrong approach and the acting or the wrong kind of thing it could have just been you know kind of a goofy silly cuckooville mess and there's there is that but but the, i think to me anyway the the motor of it is it is heartfelt and it is it's, there's an authenticness to his performance well the core of the story is someone who's trying to uh, to save someone like this really is a film about rescue and about uh, saving both himself and someone else i don't want to give away too much of the plot because that shows up uh, shows up later um and that's where the humanity anchor sure it's a, it's a story of a bad man trying to do a good thing right so it's a redemption story yeah so it's kind of classic noir in, in that way of like, a, you know, a horrible human being that is somehow at this time in his life is presented with this situation and he chooses for the first time, maybe ever, do a good thing. And that's pretty much the story. Well, let's talk for a second about the momentum in your films, because that's something you have. And part of the momentum in a lot of your films comes from the fact that you work with 
actual rock stars who sometimes need to be aimed like a <laughs> missile. They cannot be steered. Um, and I'm sure that uh, I'm not going to make any assumptions here, but Henry Rollins seems like one of those people who requires some aiming. Um, in the, I mean that in the best possible way. I'm a huge fan. Uh, and so I'm curious as to, is there a different approach you have to working with people who have a tremendous amount of charisma and stage time, but may not have a classically trained sort of craft and when they're when they're on camera, like a rock star. How do you well, that? Well, you, you know, the first, it's, it's trust, really, and it's making them feel comfortable because you know, as you know, I know, that they are a rock star. They're used to being looked at. They're used to being on stage. Now they're in a new place. So they've got the confidence. And But, you know, being in a new place, there are things that they're still learning. They're working with other actors who have, you know, way more experience than them. And there's sometimes a little intimidation factor. So sometimes, you know, I might talk to the other actors and say, listen, you know, this is, you know, Henry uh, really wants to do a great job and he really wants to uh, do this. So I want you to be there for him. I want you to be patient, you know, because he's going to do great, but he just wants to feel that people are on his side. So I get the other actors kind of dialed in to kind of be on the team to support them because they also want to be in the scene where everybody's good. And then with, say, a guy like Henry, you know, we spend time beforehand talking about it. I listen to him, his ideas about costume, and I make him feel like he's he's on the team. I make him feel like he is not just a guy that's being told, stay, you know, go here, say this, wear this. I say, Henry, what do you think your character might wear? What do you think might be in his pockets? What do you think his place should look like? You know, so suddenly he gets excited about it and he feels like he's on the team he's not just this isolated guy coming in to do this bit and so when he does to finally arrive he feels like he's had a part in making the you know making the scenario so there's a kind of a feeling of like oh yeah I'm on the team and these are my teammates and so that's a great place to start and then when we're shooting uh, I encourage him to try things and don't he was great. He was really up for the up for it. I, I'd met him a couple, you know, times in the past. I'd worked with him a couple other times and loved him because he's a very smart, smart man. He is extremely disciplined and hardworking and a kind of a renaissance man. He's he's got a he he's got a book company. He writes a column for a newspaper. He has a radio show. He's involved with social uh, justice things. Uh, he's one of my favorite humans, Henry Rollins. Yeah, he's pretty spectacular as a human being. You know, I, I'm very proud of him. I think he did a great job. And I think, you know, he passed the audition. He's in the gang. So, we'll be, you know, we, we get to play, Henry and I get to play again on something, you know. Oh, totally. Well, then you add that to Juliette Lewis, who, of course, is also a rock star in her own right with Juliet and the Lakes. And then you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just filling everything with music and joy and charisma. And, of course, we can't help but uh, but watch. So just keep reeling us in. Uh, so you work a lot in Canada. As you said, you do a lot of television, stuff like that, which is not an easy thing to do. I do a Canadian film podcast. I know how hard this is, even though I don't make film myself. Uh, the stories are always amazing. What makes you commit to something to say, this is the next one I really want to work towards? And I you mean the new, this. the next movie kind of thing? Yep, that's right. Um, well, I mean, uh, at any one time, there might be like nine to 12 things that we're working on because over the years, you start something and you realize, oh, this might take 10 years to actually make. So you don't know it at the time. You think, oh, we'll make this next year. Here I am now, and I've these things add up a little bit, and so it's what the next one is uh, is 
not often exclusively your decision. Uh, it's sort of a combination of the partners that you can find to join you on this journey. And it's partly a casting thing and it's partly a money thing. But, you know, I generally look for, we, we spend a lot of time, myself, Tony Burgess, we're you know, working on a new Pontypool. Well, it's not really the new one, but it's the, anyway, so working with Tony and, and the right, other writers that I've worked with in the past, Noel Baker, who wrote Hardcore Logo, uh, Daniel McIver, who did Trigger and who did uh, Weirdos. And so, you know, I love writers and I, and I kind of, you know, you finish one thing and say, okay, let's start the next one. And um, there is one project, though, that is dear to my heart. Uh, it's a graphic novel called Yummy Fur, The Adventures of Head the Happy Clown, written by uh, a very talented fellow named Chester Brown of Toronto, mm. who wrote and drew this kind of legendary underground uh, series of comic books, which became a graphic novel. So I think in the little treasure chest of projects they're all pretty amazing but yummy fur is the uh something that is like a kind of a bit of a dream project i guess i love his uh, chester brown i love his um his louis riel graphic novel i think it's one of the best yeah like the that. storytelling in that is really remarkable and uh uh it's a great uh it's a great portrait of a man it's a great telling of history uh his other ones uh, paying for it was really entertaining you know, and he comes out of that whole gang of Seth and Joe Matt and all those guys. So it's a really rich, rich vein in this country, in this city. Uh, super talented people. So, yeah, I've always been a big fan of Chester Browns. And we have made some good progress. Still a ways to go to bring yummy fur to the land. But uh, Dreamland, I think, is a step in that direction. So... Uh, it was it was a fun thing to make. Now you mentioned that uh, there's some Pontypool stuff coming up, and I have to ask because this we did Pontypool when we first started yeah. the podcast back in 2016. We talked about it, and of course we are all huge fans of it. And orally, a u r a u r that one <laughs> like in your ears, it's one of the most um, stunning soundscapes. Like the things you guys do with sound in that isolated environment in that film is ridiculous. And there was some rumor of making the sequels into a podcast. Is that still something that's in the well? Works? You know, it's funny because the Pontypool movie began as a radio play for CBC Radio. That's where it first was born. Mm. When we were writing the screenplay, which is we're still going to make that one long story but the short version is cbc commissioned us to do a thing we did pontypool the radio play and then we thought well if we're going to record this with actors let's shoot it so that became the movie and so uh in this sort of quiet time tony's been talking about you know doing another kind of starter call it a podcast or a radio drama around the sort of aftermath of the Pontypool virus. Uh, and it's, it's a great idea. You have to, you should talk to Tony about it, but he's writing it now. And it's a really smart, smart concept. And again, you know, the hope is that you begin as a podcast radio play, and then it's such a great way to sketch out your uh, characters and your story. And if that clicks and that works, it's not a huge leap than to go to you know a filmed version of that 
We will all wait with bated <laughs> breath. I'm actually so excited about that. Uh, let me just ask you a couple more questions just to finish up. Uh, the first one, I could be wrong here, but we believe here at the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast that Crime Wave, uh, the John Pays film from the 80s, is one of the biggest cultural touchstones in modern Canadian film. And we have to ask if Mr. Skin was at all inspired <laughs> by Dr. Jolly in that film. Uh, that's that's a very good, that's very astute, actually, because I'm a huge fan of that movie. And I remember seeing it at the Toronto Festival when it first came out and getting to meet John Pays. And uh, yes, absolutely. That is a very good uh, connector. And I think it's great that you're talking about that and turning people onto that film. Uh, the other listeners out there, believe me, it's one of the great, uh, uh, beautiful, independent movies ever made. So. That. I would definitely check that film out. Oh, it's just so wildly will, wildly weird. We love it so much. And like the more we see, like the but seeing that, you realize how many other places it's popped up and references to it. It's really remarkable what a touchstone it ended up being. Um, my next question actually is about availability. We have been looking for a copy of Dance Me Outside because we've wanted to talk about, about it on the podcast. Do you know where it is? Uh, I can get you one. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would love to. I can hook you up with a, a link or something like that. Uh, I'm, there's there's a soundtrack album. There's a comic book by Nick Crane, a graphic novel of that film. Because we love, like, we know of it, and we've of course read everything. We've watched the trailers. Uh, we've seen all the rest of your work. But for some reason, in the distribution, that one because it's not on iTunes, we can't seem. To yeah, find I got to get on that. I, I'll, you know, uh, I I will definitely um, figure out what's going on with that. I know. Yeah, I'll, I'll do some digging. But I, for you, uh, Becky, I will uh, give me a couple of days, but I can get you a link and then find out where I could get like a physical copy of it. But uh, I adore that movie. And uh, I would love if you want to do something about that one of these days or talk to Adam or, you know, anybody connected with it. Uh, I think it's a great, uh, lovely, again, like you said, a touchstone uh, in this country. It was one of the first films uh, ensemble in that way that brought in that kind of indigenous film into modern Canada. That's uh, thanks to Mr. Norman Jewison, actually. That's the guy that kind of kicked it off and started the whole thing. The Godfather. (laughs) Uh, And then my last two questions are questions that I ask all of my guests. The first one is a real softball question. No problem whatsoever. What do you think Canada needs more of in order to support it? Let's see, what does it need more of to support its artists? I think more people like you that kind of turn people on and let people know, because the this, this stuff is there in, you know, the, the back catalog is some of the things we talked about and what people are doing today. And I think it's really, really important that people know where it is. And uh, I think we need more people like you and what you're doing to um you know turn people on to certain things you know there's such a vast kind of selection of things for people to kind of experience i think people need a bit of curation i think they need a a few kind of travel guides to kind of say okay let me let me just take you on to a few places that i think you will totally dig and then they're fine then they can go oh it's not so scary to look into our own land and find amazing television shows and, 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 and uh, movies and books and things. So, yeah, so that's what I would say. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then my last question, because we're giving guideposts here, do you have a favorite Canadian film, be it documentary or fiction, that you would like to recommend to our listeners they go check out? Well, I got to say, uh, about um, two months ago, or just before 
the COVID hammer came, I watched a Canadian film called A Married Couple. It just blew my mind. It was oh. I saw it on the same day as 1917, you know, the Oscar winning or whatever about World War One. And to me, a married couple kind of blew it out of the water, weirdly. Maybe I just put, I, I saw the married couple first, but it's a film made by Alan King, shot by Richard Leiterman. And it's about a Toronto couple in their house. It's 1970. And what, it was sort of way before reality television and all this, but it's basically a portrait of this couple and their, their marriage kind of on a rocky place over the course of maybe, you know, six months to a year. And it is hilarious. It is very emotional, is very true and authentic. I was just blown away. I thought that was one of the best films I've not only seen in Canada, but ever seen. And I thought it was great. So a documentary, but felt like a drama. And then maybe I'll throw in, uh, I would also throw in a French movie called Le Bon de Barras, starring Charlotte Laurier as a young girl in this kind of small Quebec town, which is one of my favorite all-time Canadian films as a fiction film. So there you go. There's a documentary and a fiction. Those are both fantastic. We talked about a married couple on the uh, on the show before. And yeah, I'm up there. When people, everyone was talking about uh, a marriage story, I was like, okay, if you think that's good, you need to go see this thing. This oh, thing's really? So oh, great. great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very, very similar. Man, that movie's so great. Alan King in general needs to be fully rediscovered. Hot Dogs needs to do a whole yeah. retrospective on him and his work because yeah. that stuff's just bananas and he needs some restoration. But so does half of Canada. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much for your time. It is so appreciated. Well, let's do this again, Becky. It was a real pleasure. And uh, uh, thank Thank you for the enjoyable conversation. That's uh, it was really great. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.